Vous avez demandé la police. Ne quittez pas. Yes. I'm sitting in quarantine Want a burger with double cheese I ain't shy with no Mr. Clean And the females are mystery On a month with confusing text Patiently waiting sex The world is a mess I got a lot to get off my chest uh, I knew a girl She took my hand and showed me everything She woke me up one sunny morning Said she had a dream My first encounter with the presence of the Reverend King She lifted a curtain on the campus Ain't the way it seems It hides in cracks It hides in corners Shit, it hides in the open In the bleachers Hides in teachers And the textbooks they hold in the barrel of a gun and in the arms of a woman In the rights of every man, in the land that we've stolen In class you feel like she's the only one She's an AP and still they call her black student dumb No, where'd you learn that from? Teach me where you learned that from You know white Jesus ain't the only son The symbiotic morals of hypocrisy and Christians Your neighbor is your neighbor, lest your neighbor any different A privilege to know your neighbors, you better cherish them Y'all in embarrassment I was about to tell him hallelujah I just made a couple ramen noodles But the news got out another shooter So here I pray an everyday consumer And you're in your living room With your curtains pulled so tight You behind that bro Yeah, she said don't shoot right as the bullet leaving she had two kids at home and Terry barely started teething He said I asked you more than once so we'll just call it even Why's she a nuisance on the news but he's a human being She brought me round strong folks who carry heavy hearts Who still continue to shine cause everyone is stars And uh, my part, I learned to listen as they opened up She let me in on so much She introduced me to communities of people I knew nothing about Even though right out my window I could see their house Oh man, you on the couch and think the news laid it out? You don't know, I suggest you get a first-hand account Cause it's a privilege to know, a real privilege to know A friend in need is a friend, and information is gold Okay, the love of a homie, or the love of a girl If folks are target to you, well then you're missing the world When we connect in our cultures, our vantage points start to grow And I'll be watching your back, I said I'm watching the throne To know a person of color, to know a love of your own We didn't bring them here to leave them alone Well, I was about to tell them hallelujah For justice and for peace But there's none of that now Cause there's a war in the streets Catch my face in the crowd She made me conscious to police Wish that I made her proud I left town cause my heart was in doubt Because weeks before I lost a piece of my heart A girl I thought that I would marry Had me sure from the start In the midst of mental illness I was coming apart And you stopped me Let's get some coffee Wanna talk about art? Mm. My heart was bruised and bleeding In 2017 when my world stopped And the spinning was inside of me and I couldn't stand to put my heart out again 
But now this new love was mixing with the rage in my veins I must admit, V, we should have been together in this Despite our history, I couldn't take a partnership It's like my heritage, American, the Civil War Afterwards, why'd we forget the folks we fought it for? Who built up, who built this country from the bottom floor? And who built me into this man who still is marching forward? I couldn't take the pressure Every night was lucky to undress you But every morning, like I never met you I think the pressure was I think the pressure was you showed me the truth You woke me up one sunny morning, sun set on my youth What is a PWI? Felt like exclusion to you It hides in classrooms, the walls of bathrooms It hides in front of our eyes I'm walking blind as they tell us everything is alright All that glitters ain't the only thing your eyes can see This ain't in history books, why'd my country lie to me? What you showed me was a lot to conceive How it felt to live on campus in the land of the free I wasn't ready to speak up, not ready to speak out Among the student body with the voice I had found After emancipation, white America denied relations With black Americans who built the nation I was indoctrinated to deny the love that I was facing I'm full of shame for our love was wasted It doesn't hide in basements It's inside the very food we're eating Behind this Sunday's gospel reading White America, our cross is bleeding The roof is leaking, the foundation is shaking With reparations seeking Man, it's loud and clear the way the people feeling We hit a ceiling, cops are shooting You concerned with stealing I'm Anthem kneeling America, our curtains peeling Police revealing that the flag is the fabric that keeps oppression beating We have a long relationship with black Americans You can't stand to hear it To this day, USA tries to keep it a secret It hides in plain sight I just still can't believe it Maybe part of that's in me Maybe that's why I cheated Maybe that's the pressure Maybe that explains the way I left you I called you home, girl, you wanted better My role models were a wicked gender I failed our Bronx tale I won't forget you Cause your love set me on the path that I march on today Years later, I'm better having been in your space You always brought me to meetings I always thought you were brave You woke me up one sunny morning I stayed awake I don't expect to ever hear from you that it's okay My only hope is that in justice you find peace one day I know I loved you, I know I loved you, I know I loved you I think you loved me too And still we rise determined until we see it through I advise you go meet your neighbors, turn off the news I'll never understand, never understand, I'll never really episode of the working title podcast and if you listen to the intro episode welcome back just got back from the berg where i interviewed bernie writer for the first episode here that song that you just listened to was his song and as i said in the intro we will be featuring a new artist for every episode so please send me some more stuff um it was a wonderful episode and i'm very excited to share it with everybody um not really many cuts at all there was a cut right in the middle when i got a call from a company that I had a job interview for. 
so that was that. And so it may sound a little abrupt there of a change for a second. And also later we wrapped up the podcast and said goodbye and was eating uh, some food and some wine came out and that sparked some uh, truthfully pretty political discussion. So if you stick around for the last third of the podcast, which is some pretty heady stuff, I really appreciate you guys listening to that. And without further ado, here's the first episode. Okay, and with no practice or introductions whatsoever, welcome back to the Working Title Podcast. Can I just say thank you to anyone who listened to the first introductory episode and put up with my ums and my stammerings. We are working on this as we go. Um, I also want to say that the Instagram and the uh, email do exist now, and I will be able to plug and snip that in at another point so people will be able to interact with this podcast. And without further ado, I am here with one of my beautiful friends, Patrick Bernauer, a.k.a. Bernie Ryder. Hey, guys. We are here in his neighborhood, the Berg, and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and let him introduce himself before we get into some questions and some things we'd like to talk about. So yeah, without further ado, Bernie, how the hell are you? I'm doing good, bro. I'm Bernie from the Berg. Uh, we're here in my neighborhood studio where it was all born. And we're here to chop it up. You know, you just pulled into town a minute ago. We said hello, but we're just going to do this organically right here on record. So Yeah, that's the plan. So I really want to ask you, what we you were about to launch into what this space that we're actually sitting in is, but I'd like you to do so now. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm glad that we were like, hold up, pod time. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So we're sitting here in the craft and school of the arts that I am lucky enough to have the key to. Um, you know, it's a very small, intimate space. It's really raw. It's like, you know, I feel like I'm sitting in someone's home right now. Yes. That's how it feels. It's not like a, when I say this is my studio, it's not like a, oh, there's a recording booth here. There's preamps and thousands of dollars worth of electronics here. There's a grand piano. There's a sick little dining table. Mm -hmm. There's my desk and a bunch of Legos. Um, And it's it's very homey, man. And I think that we've kind of made it like home. For sure. There's the kitchen. There's the china behind you. It's it's a lovely space. So you were telling me this uh, this space kind of made 2020 possible for you. I want you to tell me a little bit about that. Probably should have got into uh, Bernie here is a musician. Uh, this, oh, yeah. this podcast <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> is very much about showcasing people and their arts. So as a musician, I'd like to ask you some more specific questions. But the first one I want to ask you is just kind of what music is for you, kind of what mm. your musical journey is. I'm leaving that intentionally very open-ended. Yeah, it's a very open question. <laughs> um, maybe more specifically, when did you start to engage with music? When did music become like really important in your life? Music has always been a given for me. It kind of just happened. It was like I found this old Casio keyboard in the back of a closet when I was like three years old. And I, my musical experience at that point was going to Catholic church with, you know, we had this whole chorus and this big organ. And I loved the song Ode to Joy by Beethoven. Classic. And I figured it out at, on this little tiny keyboard when I first found it when I was three years old. Really? And I was just like, I, I was like, cool, like music. My parents were like, this kid is three. What has happened? Um, <laughs> so it was always kind of there. And then, you know, I played trumpet. I kept up with it. That, like school band? Thing? Yeah, like school band stuff. But yes. it became important to me in sixth grade when I got my first guitar. Okay. So I was, how old are you in sixth grade? You're like 13? Sixth grade? 
Yeah, that sounds about. No, right. you're 13 in like eighth grade, so I was like 10 or 11. Okay, yeah, yeah. We were just talking about how we don't keep past time very well. Yeah, we don't. It just happened. Um, yeah, it, to answer your question, it came important to me when I was like 10 or 11. So you said you were able to pick up that little bit of Beethoven. Did you, were you the type of person who could hear music and then you just start kind of practicing with it until it matches that sound or like, what was the approach? Notes have always painted a picture in my mind. Okay. Each note has its own little personality and I think that might come from this was an old beat up keyboard and each key had different little like you know dirty smudges on it and like little like nicks out of it and okay. like each key had a personality to me That's it just kind of built little personalities um so that helped me to remember it so then I could still go you know and keep doing it Okay. Um, and remember where the song like lived on the, on the keys. Um, and that's kind of, I guess what does make me able to do that because I realize like, I don't really look at tabs ever. Like I do a show every single week on Instagram. So I'm yeah. constantly learning music or writing music. And I realized I'd never look up the songs. I just kind of listen to it and plunk it out and figure it out. That's really fucking cool. I, I, I find it fascinating the way people think about things. And I kind of have that feeling about different ideas and things like that. There's kind of uh, a feeling to it, a flavor of cool. different ideas that are in my head. But to hear you describe that with notes and music is just so foreign to me, but really <laughs> fucking cool at the same time. That's cool, man. Like my a lot of people think it's like a foreign idea. It's not how people... Well, we all think very differently. And that's yeah. why I like picking the brains of musicians because yeah. you, you guys look at things so uniquely. Mm -hmm. uh, but can I just say that that show that you put on Instagram, first time I watched it, a uh, little mad at myself for not knowing it was going on. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm a bad friend for that. But um, that was truly a beautiful experience. And can I just say how nice it is to have um, artistic performance, you know, be available to us in this these pandemic times. Yeah, dude. And somebody who is like a true, a true goer to musical experiences like yourself. Thank you. For you to come and see this show through Instagram live, through this rectangle, mm -hmm. like, and you're like, dude, that was a beautiful experience. And you might say the same thing about seeing like Grizz. Yes, of like, course. Like, that's so cool to me. Yes, absolutely. And it was, it's, it's nice to see a performance catch its flow, catch its groove as it goes on, because it, yeah. it was you in your basement, <laughs> Um, decorations on the wall, maybe some weights <laughs> in the background, that kind of stuff. And those were wine bottles, actually. I saw those, too. Um, <laughs> and just seeing the way that you started out with what, to me, felt a very uh, Mac Miller-esque vocal uh, experience there, just doing that, yeah, 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 yeah. And it. as it went together, you you could feel in the the point of the performance where you, like, catch the groove. Yeah. At first, you're just sort of like, I don't want to say nervous, but maybe a little nervous, and you're warming was, up. Yeah. Um, you're you're performing for people there. There's people there interacting with you, even though you're in your basement, which is, I'm sure, a weird thing you have to adjust to. Yeah. But, like, you can <laughs> feel the moment. And this is the moment I enjoy in any live performance of anything. I see music or otherwise. Is when you can see the person performing, like, really catch that groove, and then just something magical is happening in front of you. And I really got to experience that with yeah. you. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much looking forward to more of those shows and more of everything you make. Absolutely, man. There's going to be one this Saturday. I think I'm going to do a bunch of fresh originals. And I think I might also do fights on the weekend. 
Fights on the Weekend? The you... one song that I had oh, out yes, in yes. August. That... I've never performed that song. I, yeah, you you were talking about it on the podcast, and I'm actually really excited to hear it now because a friend of yours said it was their favorite song of yours. Yeah. Um, I, I've, of your, I, I wish I could say I have a favorite of yours so far, but you're kind of <laughs> all over the place, and yeah. I like that a lot about yeah. you. I don't know what I'm going to be getting at any given time, and that's something I appreciate with artists. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I, like, with some of my favorite artists, certainly through my uh, life and appreciating music, I know I used to, like, pigeonhole my favorites, and when they didn't make something the way they used to make it, I would be that shitty fan and be like, oh, I always I, changed. Yeah, I don't like them anymore. I like one of the old... And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy I've grown out of that and I can appreciate what people make now. But um, that's why I'm intentionally, I mean, actually somewhat unintentionally making music all over the place because I do have a style and a flavor that's everywhere. I, I pull from so many different influences. But and also it, it shows glad. a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that not one of my songs that's out so far are the same because then people are like, I literally don't know. What's coming next from this dude? I really can't say if somebody were to ask me, like, what's his music like? I would just have <laughs> to sick. say, go listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's perfect. Like, it's, what does he do? Like, he's an artist from Pittsburgh. Okay, but, like, what is his sound? Like, go listen to I it. I don't know. Like, he plays all these instruments. Sometimes exactly. he doesn't. Sometimes I always see you with beats. something different in your hand, and I really like that. There's a little, I don't even know what type of drum that is over there. Grand piano. It's a djembe. Okay, we are we are in a music studio. There there's, is different instruments. There's so many instruments. There's there's literally digital. There's digital and analog instruments. Analog meaning like acoustic. So there's like some digital instruments. Actually, I'm gonna bring one over. Go right um, ahead. I'm gonna bring over two instruments to show you how you know, the vast difference of the kinds of music I play. You got this. Okay. And you got this. So what we're sitting here with, folks, is a ukulele. Everybody knows what a ukulele might look like. And an Akai MPC. Okay, and I've seen these on your uh, stories and times when you're making music. I see my friends work with these. Mm -hmm. And to me, I just see some pads and dials. But please explain to me what this thing is. It's basically a consolidated drum set. Okay. And even more than that, like it doesn't have to be drum sounds that you assign to each one of these pads that you hit with your fingers. It could be any sound. So you can literally, you know, copy and paste whatever sound you can have a little, a lot of uh, cool music samples, vocals, Kanye West samples vocals all the time. And then he'll do like, and it's people's voices. Okay. Um, So this is not a sampler per se samples being what you pull from other people's music and then you create new music with that this isn't a sampler but this is something to play those samples okay so what i do is i kind of treat my fingers like i would you know my whole arms and my foot to play a drum set Mm -hmm. i also play drums but when you kind of get that down of course there's this is and that's what it looks like you're thing. doing when you're playing this thing i could see your whole your whole body moves with it it's not you just you know that's cool typing on like a typewriter or something like that where just your hands or fingers are moving you're putting a whole rhythm into it your arm moves your chest that's every, interesting that you notice that every bit of you is moving in some sort of like flowy pattern with that which i find Sick. just infinitely fascinating that's cool did you notice that just from the uh the circles drum edition that i did over the mac Miller that song? was the last time that i remember seeing it but i've seen you play with that before well the last time i was here in this building mm-hmm. uh, up in your when you lived here in the apartment the other studio yeah. you were showing me some things you were working on and that's another thing i noticed is oh, that my God. you weren't just sitting there like i would look at this thing and i would 
would think typewriter and I would just like start just pitter patting with it. But you had a whole sort of body movement that went along with what you were doing. It's so cool that you noticed that. And I really like how you just explained there how versatile this little this little pad is. It's mm-hmm. only like not even a foot by a foot. It's like less yeah, than that. Yeah. Tiny little square. I mean, I see infinite possibilities when I look at this because this is just a little rubber square. But I mean, you could put literally any sound and sound is infinite. So, I mean, it's interesting that you notice the body language because basically I've, I genuinely don't even play a drum set unless I'm in the actual big recording studio mm-hmm. anymore, which is weird. And I really want to practice drums more outside of it. But I put all of my drumming into this. And one of my things that I do is I had a drum teacher. I only had one drum teacher and I hated this dude. <laughs> and he demonized my, he called it my chicken wing. Because when I hit things, my whole arm would go. And he's just like, dude, just do this. And just like flick your wrist. It's all the wrist. Okay. And I was like, dude, this is music, man. Try, don't make me a robot. Yeah. So that... I like this. This is how I play drums. And for the folks at home, my elbow is literally like a metronome. And my wrist is, it's my, my elbow is in half time. And mm-hmm. my wrist is in double time. And then I kind of put that into. There you go. Even just tapping out on rubber pads right now, that sounds nice to me just because of the timing. I've never mm-hmm. been somebody who could really keep rhythms very well. The only time I can maintain a rhythm is when somebody's playing one for me. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. Yeah. Um, Your body's a metronome. I, I want to ask you a little bit. This makes me think about what is as well as you can describe it, and I get that that's not really a very formalized process all the time, but what is the process of making music for you? Where do you draw from? That's a good question. Um, is, are there times where it feels more formal, like you're putting in, like, okay, I've got these hours, I want to write something. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a little bit of A, a little bit of B, but yeah. what's that process like for you? Well, man, there's there's droughts, and then there's, you know, abundance of rain. Sometimes you're just like, dude, I don't know. We can swear. Can we swear on this? Oh, absolutely. I have several times already. Sweet. I didn't even notice. Uh, Yeah, sometimes (laughs) I'm like, sometimes I myself, I'm just like, how the fuck do I write this? Like, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And then there's other times where it just all just comes. Mm -hmm. And then there's other times, like a time that I'm in now where I really am, like those songs that you noted, that you listened to on the show last week, there's other songs that I'm building along with that. So I'm giving myself hours that I'm going to sit here and write lyrics, which is different. Lyric writing is different than, than music writing. But I think the process for me has always been divine inspiration. Okay. It just comes, man. It, and I think I'm in a place now where I can control it a little more because as much as I, as I trust my innate ability to just have music flow out of me, mm-hmm. I'm also like, hold on, let me kind of manipulate this current and of this vibe right now and like i want to kind of take it this direction i want to make it sound like this and that is immensely harder because i'm trying to write this song right now that is from an idea i don't know how many songs i've really written that started as an idea mm-hmm. not as i just picked up a guitar and some really cool stuff come started coming out <laughs> and then i realized okay this is what i want to talk about this is what i'm going to name it this mm-hmm. is how i want it to feel this is what i'm going to say which is how only one in the neighborhood was written Okay, so sorry for not knowing the name of it, but that recent single you released, that's the longer piece. Yes. That's uh, more, I want to say, a commentary on things going on right now as well as a musical, yeah, political a beautiful climate, social climate. musical piece. Did Thank that you. start as a an idea or was that more raw in the sense that 
there are things going on right now and you mm-hmm. just wanted to get some shit out of you? That is that is such a good question and it's a pretty complex answer. I'm certain. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> it actually had like three phases, but it was mo- it was the most formal piece I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, it started as most things do. Sorry, and what is the name of this? this it's called this Oh book? yeah. So my song is called At Home News On, which was its original working title, and then I ended up sticking with it. I'm like, you know what? That's just real. It's funny how that happens. I, it's funny, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, uh, I want to make it more of like a like a song that came out uh, in like the golden era of hip-hop called The Message, and it's literally like talking about, you know, life in this socioeconomic system that they lived in, which is a really crazy word to say. They lived in the ghetto. <laughs> I love me a good two-dollar yeah. word. <laughs> yeah. So like... This song, um, I was like, man, maybe I should name it, you know, The Doctrine or something stupid. Nah. I'm like, how has this year felt with all of us, you know, being home and just witnessing and bearing witness to this political social uprising Mm -hmm. and movement? At home, news on. News on. And how that song began was June or July. Um, whenever, you know, everything in, in protesting and in, in Black Lives Matter was kicking off in the summer. And I spent a night trying to escape all the news that I was consuming. And I watched J. Cole's documentary called Eyes from For Your Eyes Only, which I believe came out in 2016 or 17. I want to say it was later than that. You think so? Again, with the not being good yeah. <laughs> at putting things in the past at their proper yeah. times, but I thought it was later than that. I remember Love Yours. You might be right, though. It was a song that I absolutely loved senior year of, no, junior year of, of at UD, so this was like 16 or 17. So you may be right. We graduated in 2018. Yeah. I listened to that album oh, immensely in the middle of college, so you may be right, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Tr- not trying to derail you. Right. So, <laughs> so I was so, so inspired by this... Uh, by this documentary I watched, but I was also feeling a little, I felt a little stagnant because I, I don't do good with, I don't really have a good way of relaxing. So I'm watching this to relax, but I'm like, dude, I got to write a rap right now. I'm going to freak out. <laughs> and I, uh, I wrote this rap over this, over the beat that it ultimately was. And it started with, I said, I said, I said, I'm sitting in quarantine when a burger with double cheese. I ain't showered, no Mr. Clean and the female's a mystery. Mm. And I was like, Okay, where are we going to go from here? We got something. <laughs> and it went on this whole thing that didn't end up making the song. That's the only thing I kept. Um, wow. the, the rest of it, a part that I really liked was like uh, talking about the uprising. And I was talking about um, uh, a part that never made the song because it didn't really fit the story I was telling. But it mm-hmm. was, uh, well, we know the world turn. Well, it turned for the moment. I know that one day the one percent is trying, knowing that you can bet the whole safe us eighty five is gonna rise up. We don't like you, we gonna fight you. We the people, we can bite you out on Rikers. I got something to prove. Ooh, uh, out on Rikers, I got nothing to lose. But to you, I'm just a psycho. I got something to prove. It's the truth. You wanna silence us? The voice of the youth. What's the use? You'll be too old when I'm at your front door. Like, bitch, this is our world that I'm going to do, do, do. And I was like, that's a little violent, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, though. You you just have, like, a whole little bank in your, like, head of where you file away these, like, little bits and pieces that you don't put in your music. I was just going to ask you, yeah. is there... Is there, is there a, a safe, a trophy vault here somewhere where you put, like, the pieces... <laughs> the, the good, dra- good lyrics? The stuff that you 
maybe either don't have in a song yet or was a part of a writing process. Oh, man. And then you're like, ah, that doesn't really fit here, but this is too <laughs> oh, good dude. to get rid of. I still have those in the vault from like 2015. I <laughs> a lot of that, a lot of those, you know, raps that never made it mm-hmm. uh, are sitting just in my notes. Okay. Uh, from, from 2014 on, I have all these sick lines. I'm like, one day, this line <laughs> is going to see the light of day and it's going to be sweet. The right time, the right place. The- the right climate, the right beat. And mm-hmm. then you're like, okay, this is it. This yeah. is why I've got this one. And it's funny because how that song started was I sat down and I was talking about, all right, what am I doing? And I was just trying to vibe. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm sitting in quarantine. I would love a cheeseburger. I haven't had sex in a long time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it was just like goofy. And then I switched to talking about the pandemic. And I was like, a mask in the grocery store. Um, and it was talking about like, you know, we try to avoid these, these, this bacteria, and this virus, but then our bacon is like full of chemicals and preservatives. <laughs> and like uh, that went from talking about the, the, you know, just like our food additives to then, and this was, this happened all in like 10 minutes. I was just like, and I just, I was really happy. Cause I'm like, man, like, yeah, I can just write a whole rap and not even think about it. And I went from that into what the song eventually grew into which I started talking about our political climate and, and the movement. And I was like, okay, this is something I really want to talk about. And I had spit that a couple of times for a couple of friends of mine, just as is. And they were like, that is pretty political, man. And, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, we can talk about, I'll stop there for a second. And we can talk about up until that point, because then after that, that's when it became very formal. And I actually mm-hmm. had a writing partner, Antoine Edmondson, who really pushed me to say some of these hard, hard truths. Um, so we can talk about that, that I'm, natural chill part first. We can. I just want to say I'm really happy that you put it out there in general. And the, mm. the look on your face there when you said when somebody else said to you, it is real political. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that because on the introduction to this podcast, I, I stated that politics are something that are important to me. Mm. Um, and they will be coming up from time to time on this podcast. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Free flowing. We'll see what that, you know, what people vibe with that and who don't. Yeah, um, people don't, I just, man. I think that's just really fucking important is to uh, fucking grapple with the political state of the world and to just not yeah. to, to to not engage with it. I, I understand it. It's messy. It, but it, that's shy. It's shying away from something that you're perceiving as it's too hard. It's too big of a task for me to take on. Precisely. So, and we, we can get into those ideas maybe a bit more emotions, later. But yeah. what, another thing I want to talk about, though, and we had this conversation, uh, a, a good little bit of this conversation, I want to say at the beginning of the pandemic. I was just going through a walk through my neighborhood one day, and I was thinking, who haven't I talked to for a little while? And I gave you a little call on the phone. Heck yeah. Um, and we talked about sort of this moment we're in and the role that artists are playing right now and just sort of how centrally important artists are today in a way that they never have been before. Mm. We, more than anything, need things to keep us motivated, things to keep us inspired, and things that keep us engaged in sort of a community aspect. Mm -hmm. And I I was really happy to see some of my favorite artists stepping up to the plate. Mm -hmm. And when we're all sitting at home, um, especially early in the pandemic, where I felt like uh, there was more of a camaraderie, like, okay, we're doing this together. And I kind of feel like that's kind of deteriorated a bit here. Yeah, Um, big time. 
which I'm, I'm not blaming people. I've also been a little more lax and out and about and, you know, still trying to stay away from people and masks than the whole deal. But like at the beginning of this, we were like, we are all staying home and we are going to, we're in this together. We're going to fucking do this thing. Right. And then it was like, no, we're still divided. We see Yeah, We still have, (laughs) we still have things we need to do. But yeah. uh, half of us were like, we're not staying home. And I'm like, oh, I, I, I want to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you what it's been like to be an artist at this time and what it feels like to put something out there and how other people like what's the feedback like? What's the reception from people mm. that engage with your music? Because I know I couldn't be more grateful that mm. creatives like you exist right now because yeah. I'm sitting at home fucking losing my mind trying to figure out what's going on. And when I can see one of my favorite artists came out with a new new song or right. created something new, I'm like, oh, finally, something I can enjoy. But also something that makes me feel together and I'm enjoying with other people. Definitely. I try to create that vibe for sure. I mean, that's kind of a big part of uh, Only One in the Neighborhood was a little... There was some some at-home but together kind of vibes there. Um, and two different answers to that. How does it feel? I would say, how did it feel initially to make this push in the middle of not only a pandemic, but in the middle uh, a pandemic where people are, are losing their lives and in a fight for social equality where people are also losing their lives. It felt so selfish it, hmm. it, to grapple with, you know, in July, September, uh, July, August and September, I was like, dude, it feels uncomfortable to have all this on me because at the same time as putting out music that at that point was unrelated to what was going on mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, I was putting out all these videos. I mean, I was just, I felt like I was podcasting because I was always <laughs> like on Instagram uh, doing videos and, you know, just like fighting with people in comment sections and like just really, you know, and, you know, I was going to protest as well. Mm-hmm. And it just was a really weird time, I felt, to try to put music out. And what got me to bring it into the second part of your question was what got me to to be like, all right, yep, this is what I'm doing it for, um, is not the fame or claim, is to make those connections and close that cycle of needing to express something writing a piece that can go out in a bigger way to express it. Person listens to it and has their own personal reflection with it. And that closes the gap when they come back to me and reach out and they give me that feedback. And dude, the feedback has been beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, I'm only playing music for the people that I personally know. I have, I think like under 10 internet fans that like, really engaged yeah i hate that water fountain um <laughs> that engaged with my my content like we've never met in person they stumbled upon me and they freaking love me and we talk though i like you know talk to these people not like oh these guys are my fans but i'm just like cool these are new people like in my sphere um and for stuff like this like this connection with you it's like the filet mignon of connecting Oof. about music appreciate it's it, not man. like six song dude it made me feel like this this is like you're picking my brain. Mm-hmm. So it's sweet, man. I mean, like the, the stuff that I got back for only one in the neighborhood, of course, people are like, this is a freaking bop. And I had one kid that was like, dude, this is exactly how I felt growing up. And he literally like was sending me this video and he was tearing up during it. And I'm like, that's so intense. That's what 
I want my music to make people respond like. And the stuff that I got back from At Home News On, meanwhile, not a lot of people have heard that yet. It mm-hmm. needs a music video because more people need to listen to it. But the the ratio from how many people have actually streamed the song and how many people have reached out and been like, dude, this is a very important piece. Mm-hmm. Um, you did a good job. And the important thing to note with that is actually black and white people. It's not just like white people are like, cool, you said something. It's mm-hmm. like my black friends are like, dude, I am really glad you said this. You really were on message and... Uh, I think you did a good job. I, you know, that kind of stuff for me is like, I feel like I did make, uh, you know, like a, a ripple in the ocean for people to say, all right, this dude said this, how we consume any media, you, you learn something and then you take it and you spread it. And I feel like in my small way, because not a lot of people have really heard the song yet, um, the response I feel was really empowering to people. And the song, you know, it's about the, the the story that overarches the whole song is about me and a girl who I was romantically involved with. Um, and I blew it big time, <laughs> honestly. Been there. Yeah, I blew it big time. And uh, she exposed me to this whole world at UD that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to know about. And I got to listen to real people's story mm-hmm. and struggles and what it felt like to feel excluded on campus because of the color of your skin. I want to ask you more about that, certainly. Um, But also I want to ask, maybe is that the song you might be interested in putting for the intro to this episode? Or did you have something else in mind? Because I probably should have already uh, put more effort into this ahead of time (laughs) of actually talking to you and picking out which song I want you to be (laughs) intro and outro on this episode so we could have actually listened to it and talk about it in that way. But... I do intend for your so people listening to this now are gonna be like, oh, what the fuck? They didn't even put it together yet. No, we, <laughs> yeah. we literally just um, put this phone hey, on the table and bring, started talking. Bring the phone over here, All real right. quick. Um, Shit. Yeah, man. I think that. Uh, I mean, dude. I think that I have two two hooks of songs that are very. Uh, this is gonna take a minute to probably start up. Um, Go right ahead. That are very worth. I think not worth. Um, that would be a good fit for like an intro okay. to a to a podcast. I think the hook for At Home News On is pretty solid because it's not too political unless you're really listening. <laughs> uh, it just sounds groovy. Okay. And uh, only one in the neighborhood. Also, I mean that has a pretty cool hook. Um, that I think would be like fun and there's like a little bit of a bop for a for a podcast. So let me go ahead. You, pull these you up. go ahead and set that up. I also want to ask, though, who else shares this space with you? Yeah, man. So this space is really interesting because I just kind of got over a little bit of a, um, a frustration with it because I am not the proprietor of this. This is a music school, which, of course, we haven't been doing a lot of lessons because of COVID mm-hmm. and quarantine. Like For a long time, we were like, okay, we can't really have people in the building. Um, and people have dwindled because they're not sure about, you know, coming through of course. and everything. So, who owns this school? It's a great guy named Charles Darwin. No, Charles Wilson. <laughs> uh, Charles Wilson and his partner, John. And, um, yeah, they're the guys that run this place. Uh, it is half music school, half, like, like a, like a shop for, like, fine... 
All right, well, fuck it. Without further ado, let's just continue <laughs> on with this. Yeah, man. Uh, all right, so two options that we got uh, for, for some intro music. My first song and my latest song. Here's uh, Only One in the Neighborhood, The Hook. Are you gonna come out here? Uh, we got at home news on the hook for this. I was about to tell him hallelujah. I just made a couple ramen noodles. But the news got out another shooter. So here I'm praying every day consumer. seeing it now galaxy, yeah <laughs> galaxy brain all yeah right, all right so let's take it back to the table here for a sec yeah all right so i'm very excited to go through that process with you again i think it's as simple as you just sending me audio files but yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll do that off the clock here and I, yeah i can always uh, send you like a snippet too absolutely so i want you if you could maybe to pick back up on what you were talking about before i i got you on this little segment though of yeah. somebody showed you a, that other side of ud ud you being oh. the university of dayton where me and patrick here uh both met and before you launch into that i just want to take a guess as to what it's going to be about and yeah. Uh, UD is a very lovely school. I'm very happy I went there. Um, but it is a school that is predominantly white, uh, predominantly for, I'll just say, well-off um, individuals. Um, don't want don't to badmouth UD or anything. It is a, it's a wonderful place. But uh, I want to hear what you have to say about this, this particular aspect of UD and your time there. Right. Um, yeah, UD is a PWI. And, um, PWI being predominantly white institution. Okay. And it's, uh, not something that crosses your mind as a white person until you realize and you get to kind of step into, you can't necessarily step into somebody else's shoes, but you can step into that room, Mm -hmm. um, and be a fly on the wall. Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to do that for the better part of a whole semester while I was, um, I wasn't dating her but we were we were closely involved together mm-hmm. and um she brought me to these these very you know intimate places that honestly us as white folks do not get to be mm-hmm. and i got to like truly listen like all these kinds of like stories that you get from people's experience is usually i find they 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 when we get to hear them, it's because we get to hear them. Like, mm-hmm. we see them through social media. We see them through the speeches. We see them this and that. And they're intended to be heard by a wide audience. Mm-hmm. But I got to be in these places where I was the only white person. Mm-hmm. And that was a really, really special thing that I feel very fortunate. And um, and I've been kind of, you know, we keep going and saying the word grappling. But I felt like I was grappling with this for, like, two years. 
because I mean, college ended and I was not in a place for a relationship and I kind of squandered this whole experience, Hmm. um, you know, with this girl who was heavily involved, um, in this community, Mm -hmm. in her community. And, uh, you know, I had been exposed to so much and then I kind of just, I don't know. I kind of let it go. Um, and, um, but it's something that, you know, really remained in me and kind of, I mean, essentially radicalized me. Mm. Um, and I got to hear about, you know, the, the, the underbelly of UD, how, you know, everybody says community and da, 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 but you can't just say community and make it feel like that. Yes. That's, that's something I distinctly felt, uh, at different points in my experience at UD and especially how much that feels like they kind of just hit you over the head with the whole community <laughs> thing to the point where you're almost sick. I cringe a little bit every time I say the word now. Yeah, um, like Joe Biden's speech yesterday, I was like, hey, brother, you can't just say unity and make it so. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, and that's not to say that we have all the answers either, but um, right. it's it's messy out there. Uh, it is messy, and no one knows what to do necessarily. We have we have some ideas of what we want, it's just hard to get there. And, and I, I think I think UD, and I, I don't have any special knowledge on any of this, I, I get the sense that they're aware of this or a lot of people in their administration are aware of that. Um, I'm not exactly sure what ways they're going to go about changing it structurally. They're really good at messaging. Um, mm-hmm. You know, UD's Instagram, shout out to whoever runs that. You, mm-hmm. you, you do a good job of putting out... Um, sort of the inspiring, hopeful messages. I just hope to see there's a lot of change in that. One big way that yeah. that exists in UD culture is the ghetto, which I'm saying in air quotes, which is for the longest time what the uh, student neighborhood was referred to by many people as was the ghetto, which mm-hmm. as, you know, growing up as a suburban white kid myself, you know, that's... Yeah, it started to be very we, appropriation. Extre- extremely so. But, uh, you know, that at first just sounds like I don't even really want to put anything on. I just want to say that you don't really think about it as much um, being from the positions that I grew up in. And it really does take, uh, you know, experiences with people from different communities, people of color to really shine a light on some of the shitty things that we do. And like, I think this is just one of those tough things that comes with confronting your own histories, your own biases is... Yeah, it is. It is a personal thing, and you have to address the parts that you're overlooking, and it's very unintentional um, when you sometimes either allow something to happen, or appropriate something, or just do something shitty. But it's just kind of that struggle we all have to we all have to grapple with. There's that word again. There it is. That's that's the word of the day. I think. I think um, so. Yeah, man. I mean, you everything is normal until you realize it's not exactly yeah um and then you know especially this summer you realize oh wow you know it gives us those of us who really wanted to bear down and do it to reflect and say what am i doing that's actually hurtful Mm -hmm. what am i doing that's actually like appropriation or holds some implicit bias or you know isn't cool like what are what are some of my friends letting me get away with absolutely and you don't realize like for the longest, dude, I was like, it's just the ghetto. And I don't understand why it's a problem. Exactly. And my dad went there. And measure, you know, 
your own responses to something when somebody tells you that something is inappropriate or something you shouldn't like. Cause I, I know it, I felt right. I, we've, we've felt it before that you, you feel like you're being personally attacked, um, which you kind of are and you kind of aren't. Um, yeah. But it's always you on a bigger picture. It's, it's yeah. If somebody tells you, Hey, this is a problem, a problem. They're not lying. Yeah. And if, if you're, immediate knee-jerk response is to dismiss it yeah right. to act defensively then i think that speaks a lot about yourself um yeah. i'm not saying i'm perfect on that matter i've fucked that up many 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 a times because my response to that at the beginning too was like oh it's just a nickname it's a neighborhood like mm-hmm. blah 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 i probably parroted plenty of the other stupid explanations that people said for like oh it's you know yeah certain population probably of people picked together. up uh picked up other people's thoughts like, exactly oh it's okay because this is the re- Information regurgitating. Exactly. And uh, just a, a practice we can all get a little bit better at is when somebody tells us something is uh, just not okay, offensive, uh, what have you, to really interrogate how you react to that. And I think the best thing we could all do is just sort of give it time, sit, think with it, stew with it. Yeah. Um, and give yourself time to really think about it before you just blurt out some sort of knee-jerk defensive reaction. Right, I think that's what this whole 2020. I still say this year because it just feels. Like I, I loved thing. when you were talking on the the Instagram live. You're like, "This isn't uh, this isn't 2021 yet. This is December 45th or whatever day." Yeah, it that was, was uh, that's what Pip said because that's. I mean, that's going that across. Was, yeah, I see that all the time. The updates on. All right, well, it's December 48th now. Uh, <laughs> we're like, it doesn't feel like we're actually. No. We, we, we have these artificial boundaries in time called years. I, they're not, they're, they're a little, they're a little bit arbitrary. That. I love the way you put that. We've, we've at least, artificial boundaries we've at least years. attached like some sort of astronomical event on it. Like we went around the sun. That was pretty cool. But That's mo- sick. more or less, like there's not a significant uh, yeah, dude. turning of the corner or the page. Uh, um, we're we're still right where we were a month ago. Everybody. And I think that's exactly how people need to view this. The pandemic isn't over. Mm-hmm. Trump he's, Trump isn't over. He's out of Trump office. Trump isn't over. He's, he's out of office. He like I mean, sure, Biden's dismantling a lot of his policies, but I mean, we just have to remember like we are in the exact same spot, pushing for the exact same things, and literally nothing has been done yet. Mm-hmm. Honestly, we have to remember that it's not just like twenty twenty is over, and now we're in like this new world. We have to think of it as the same thing. So when I say this year, I mean I mean the calendar year. Like our calendar year for COVID, the boundaries of that have been kind of like February, March to we're, we're in January now. So mm-hmm. it's, for all intents and purposes, also still a year. Yes. Um, but, you know, it's an artificial boundary, as you said. I think that um, what this year, now that we've explained what we mean by that, mm-hmm. um, has done for people is given us that chance to unlearn and start to restrain yourself from those knee-jerk responses. Like, literally, I I think about my responses so much now. With everything, too. It really helps my anxiety of, like, okay, mm-hmm. I don't have to just, you know, default to, this is what I want to say. Dude, mm-hmm. I literally read a text, think about it, how I feel, take some time, take, like, maybe an hour. Maybe a day, mm-hmm. and then I respond. Um, and I think that's kind of the way that people have to think about their own biases and their own uh, responses, and kind of what they've internalized about uh, about about race, about this 
capitalism about you know production and about their <laughs> the, the own self worth. I think there's the a C, there's yeah. a lot of uh, temptation pressure to appear like we've got all of our answers ready to go at any moment, which is just a really silly thing that we do. But we're humans and we're really really obsessed with how we come off and appear. Um, we like to pretend that we actually know what the hell it is we're talking about. We don't. We don't even know why we're here, so. But that is just a big part of being a person is just you got to sit and actually think through what it is you want to say before just blurting it out there. And yeah. I, I understand the irony in that as I just sit here and just kind of blurt things blurt. out as they come to me. But but I mean, I think we've both done our, our part thus far at reflecting on who we are as people and growing through this year because i know that you know where, where i was a year ago is completely different from where i am now me too it's a continuous process for sure for, for sure for so sure. that being said do you have any big plans for this year this year being 2021 now anything on the horizon you're really excited about or even just a vague idea of something you think you might want to work on move towards doesn't have to be musically or artistically maybe Something else going on, or musically, artistically, too. I don't really have any other plans besides <laughs> musically, artistically. I, you're just here at home <laughs> making some fucking music. Making fucking music, dude. Um, I like that a to lot. tie in. That feels that, like, that I, feels I, I don't want to interrupt you, there but you you've, I love your presence here. I love your music is about just being at home right now, Fuck because yeah. that's what a lot of us are just that's doing right is, now, dude. is we're just being at home. And I love that you, you know, maybe not every single day you love it, but I love that you're really... I, yeah putting it on the table that like, well, I'm here right now, so I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to be present with it because I know I personally am one of the people that, you know, I, I, I love, you know, be present, all that stuff, but it's so, it's it can be very hard. It can be very hard. I yeah. always want to just think about my plan, what I'm intending to do, yeah, things like that. But again, yeah, I mean, that's also, that can be a symptom of the big C the big C. Well, you're like, what's next? Rather than like focused on what you've already done. <sighs> Maybe we should get into that a little bit. Uh, <laughs> well, we hold on. Wait, I think we have three, three <laughs> questions. Three we do, we do. questions right now. We got the big C. We we could in production. I was talking about this on a podcast yesterday. I did a little did a little live stream with somebody. Um, plans for the year and then tying up. Uh, you know how to how to also kind of tie that into what we were talking about with this movement. I really do want to do a music video for At Home News On um, because I think that it would be impactful. And I think that the ideas that I have, I already have it completely planned out. It's just a matter of kind of uh, probably funding because I think it's going to be <laughs> more expensive. There's a lot going on with it. Okay. I think it would kind of deliver it to people's ears a little better because right now it's just a song with a piece of cover art. Um, and I don't think that's engaging enough for people mm -hmm. until, you know, until they are really familiar with it and then they want to keep listening. But we want new people to discover it and have an engagement with it. Um, and honestly, I kind of want to make it feel like a, feel like a movie. Okay. Um, so like, that's something I really, really want to do. And sometimes I'm like, oh shit, there's so many things I want to do though. Um, but that's what I want to do because I think that that's going to be important for people to visualize what I mean by the song. Mm-hmm. And have like a lasting effect, like an idea kind of in their mind, like I do with music itself. Like I want there to be a visual association with this song. So then when something that they learn from the song comes up in their life, they have this visual association that takes them to this place that they remember from the video. Like, oh, here 
is what Bernie was talking about mm-hmm. in the song, and then here's just this whole connection they have with it. That's something I really want to work on. Um, and I'm just I'm writing up a storm right now, and uh, I think it's the start of something big. So. All right, and you've got some experience doing music video e type stuff with your song drive-in correct yeah uh and and only one in the neighborhood both by the same guy pablo ramirez um another ud guy okay uh good dude one of my (laughs) tightest homies um yeah he is an engineer and he has such a passion for videography that he just freaking bought like think it's like $12,000 worth of equipment, like lighting and video. And wow. he's just like, I just want to make videos, dude. And I'm like, that's cool. That's incredible. And he can spend that money because he's an engineer. So it's cool. Hell yeah. Um, and yeah, he we're sitting on a music video right now, driving still. I didn't want to release it around Christmas because it's kind of dark. And I was just like, it's Christmas time. It feels <laughs> weird. Yeah, yeah. Let's not bum people out. Christmas yeah. Time. I'm like, why would I drop a video that involves like the Grim Reaper and like a panic attack? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like... Uh, there's that, but yeah, at home news on. Um, one of the things I'm most excited about with that is I met a girl at a protest, and she we keep in touch, and she's like, you know, up with my music and all cool, and she does like makeup and costume design. Okay. And she's like, dude, I want to work on one of your music videos, and I'm like, I have this big project coming up for this music video where there's going to be a ton of different characters and vibes and okay. we need makeup and we need costume and da, 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 da. so you got a little team coming together yeah i think that i'm i'm really building a team hell yeah mm-hmm. and at the risk of going off the rails again what Uh-oh. what were the protests like in this city here in pittsburgh they were pretty i mean it's interesting because some of them were i have i have such an interesting observation on what I noticed between my first protest and my last protest. My first protest... Wait, which one was which? Uh... My first protest... Right? That one? I forget which one was which, but basically... If you could speak to maybe just the collective, the collective feeling. I mean, in it's the city funny because one one was like people were like there, but they it was like awkward. It was like weird. There's this one. There's a shit ton of people, but like everybody was almost like it was when everything was kicking off, and I think people were dealing with like their whiteness and their white guilt. So mm-hmm. like a lot of white folks were there, mm-hmm. and it was almost like they weren't able to fully direct the anger yeah no they weren't they had some weird hesitation where Mm. it'd be like whose streets are streets yeah okay and then there was other ones that was like whose streets are streets and it was like sick i know exactly what you're talking yeah and then there's ones where you know we had to fucking go head to head against riot police and tear gas and shit like that so yeah i remember you breaking down a little clip on your story of basically being encircled by military grade style vehicles and personnel and just i don't know what that what did that feel like in that moment it felt like you were in an instagram video everybody who uh got to see this through instagram rather than in real life you're just like damn i'm really in this right now hmm. um the shit was real man yeah um they would really rather have a war in the streets than end qualified immunity um 
and they would really rather see more people hurt. I mean, there was literally ambulances behind these fucking military armored Just trucks. Ready that, to pick people up. Completely. They were intending to hurt us. Um, you know, they would rather do that than have a conversation and push towards actual police reform, mm-hmm. um, which is the whole problem. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's the whole problem. Uh, I've, I very much experienced what you were just describing there in my time at different protests and uh, whether they were more relaxed ones, uh, just mm-hmm. uh, people getting getting together to you know, I have a vigil or something like that Mm -hmm. all the way to when I was down in Cincinnati with my friends Mm -hmm. and we were out in front of the police stations there and going through the streets and all I really, if nothing else, I hope that this is really just sort of a waking up moment for a lot of people. I'm not really sure what the road is going to look like in terms of actual change and policy uh, reparations too, which would be an incredible thing that actually needs to be taken seriously. Yeah, people are like, oh God, uh, without giving names, my dad sent out uh, some like email that he included me on uh, with a lot of people on it. And this one person who's like a good family friend came back and said this thing that was like, you know, Joe Biden taking taxpayer money for this is verbatim. He was like, Joe Biden using our taxpayer money for African-American reparations. And I could tell there was a tone in there mm. that thought they thought it was ridiculous. Ew. Like, bro, what is... Oh First my. of all, that's not actually happening. Second of all, it would be great if it actually did happen. But yeah. Just the... I, I know what you mean just by... the resistance of it. And th- like, like African-Americans don't deserve... Like, what, like what, they want money? Like, what's wrong with them? Yeah, or the slavery dude, was 200 years ago. Yeah, like, oh my God. Actually, Classic deflection. It was more or less, like, not even two generations ago. If no, we talk about dude. Jim Crow and everything else, but... It really wasn't. Like, and two things on that. The one thing that I think is hilarious is this guy is a financial advisor. Mm. You know how much money is out there to be got, and you're like, we don't want to spend any of it Uh, on human life. Awesome. Fucking dick. So (laughs) there's that. Big C is in the background of this whole conversation. Big C is in the background. Yes. Um, And and just thinking like, dude, the people that I play music with, I play music with a dude who's in his 60s. -hmm. And it's just hilarious. Not hilarious. It's really fascinating because this guy was alive during these really contentious times of, like, the last civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And this dude was alive when MLK was doing his marches, right? And when MLK got assassinated. So, like, to realize this is not long ago. We see these pictures that are black and white and we feel like civil rights just, we conquered it. Mm Mm-hmm. Dude, we're talking like one person ago. Mm-hmm. One person ago. <laughs> like, they want us to think like America has come so far. Um, civil rights in 1963 is like as old as my mom. Yeah. My parents grew up in the 60s. So yeah. It's it's wacky. And before we get too, too far down that depressing road... Um, which we're not shying away from. I'm going to be talking a lot about this in this episode and other episodes. But okay. mm-hmm. uh, I really just want to acknowledge and thank the artists out there, you yourself, um, mm-hmm. because artists are many things, but they're also a mouthpiece, a spokesperson, mm-hmm. 
for collective thoughts, things that are going on for just the a way for the people in the society to, to have a voice in a very, very big way. Mm-hmm. And to see you create a song that really engages with this makes me happy. It makes me uh, very hopeful that people can connect with, you know, if they can't connect with me trying to verbally wrestle with them, they can connect mm-hmm. with music. They can connect mm-hmm. with a song and they can say, I, I feel this. I understand this. Right. And it, I hope it opens the door for people who aren't already on board with the movement to Definitely. to be a part of it. I hope, because I, I think that it's really hard to have that knee-jerk defensive response to music that isn't outright protest music. Mm-hmm. It sounds cool, you want to listen to it, and then you also then are kind of listening to this music, you're like, this is awesome. Oh my God, all these words are like seeping into my mind about why I should believe in this cause. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to reject that. I think it's not as easy to reject that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed how this conversation has gone so far. Oh yeah. I think we're coming up around an hour here. We are. So what I would like to cap this off with Mm -hmm. is a thank you and also... Could you give everybody listening a little message, maybe just a little piece of advice that you think is helpful? Could be in any aspect. Any aspect? Any aspect. Perfect. I wrote this last night. I'm going to read it off to you. This is going to (laughs) be hook number two for a song that I'm writing uh, called Glory with a good friend of mine in Columbus, Ohio named Goofy. AKA exclusive. You're getting it here first, people. Yeah, this is fresh last night, man. This this note is from... Uh, I worked on it today, so I don't know. But last night. Um, <laughs> um, you're enough. This feels like enough. I'm here to tell you that you're enough. Now, I don't want to hear any buts. So listen to me, you're enough. This feels like enough, and you deserve just what you want. And when you wake up in the morning, go tell yourself that you're enough. So don't shy away from your own wants, desires, and dreams, people. Well, there you have it. Bernie Ryder, everybody. Yeah. Check him out. He's here. He's in the Berg. My Instagram, Big Mood Burn. I'm here in the Berg. And uh, I'm very approachable. (laughs) (laughs) I can attest to that. All right. We love you, people. Love you. Peace. Peace. How I was in the fall. I can explain it later. Okay. Yeah. Um, How I was in the fall was I was really shaping my voice. And that had to do with overcoming this discomfort of speaking out about some, some part of our society that to some supporting would kind of be perceived as like being disloyal to your group, Mm. i.e. white guilt and white loyalty. Yeah. So overcoming that, you're like, no, I'm going to speak up for what I know is what's right. And that might, and 100% is, going against a lot of my own people. So overcoming that, right? But then still keeping in mind, we have to talk to these people to change their mind. Mm -hmm. That was always the forefront, like you just were, even in this conversation, just one-on-one. I think, honestly, though, probably since I've gotten more, I would say, less and less 
integrated with actual people because of COVID still. And I'm really wrapped up in my social media sphere. It's kind of like I'm just talking to people who agree at this point. And that's something that worries me about uh, like the COVID world and the burrowing in on our social media worlds is that it accelerates that uh, echo chamber and we and more than at any other time in history we're able to sort of shut out the other voices the other opposition that we don't want to hear and that kind of scares the shit out of me um, I don't I don't yeah. want it to I don't think the answer is the people who say like oh we just need to put our differences aside and like you know, I'll be American because I'm really not on board with that. Um, um, yeah, right. Exactly. And we can kind of, we can, we can have a second um, here when we get to a, a good point to do it where we kind of go back and, and like start over and then you can uh, splice right. that together. Well, let's, we can just explain that then. So we, me and Bernie are still here. Uh, we got <laughs> still we, here. We got ass. some pizza and some wings after the podcast. And then as, as we do, our conversation got off into some heady topics. Important said, to remember, we do have a, uh, you know, I've been here at the studio for coming up on a year and the same bottles of wine have been in our fridge. And we're like, dude, we got some good pizza. Let's get some good wine going, right? Mm -hmm. So I will say it do be hitting though. So let's uh... – And let's also say – and this is not Bernie's fault. This isn't his fridge or anything. But somebody refrigerated red wine. Yeah, it's messed uh, up for a year. It's good wine but just like come on. What are you doing? Come on. Like just keep it out. But that that got ideas floating around and what – kicked off this little segment of the conversation was my saying that I'm kind of over this nationalism thing, guys. And (laughs) I know, I know that's going to rustle some jimmies and some people (laughs) aren't really about it, but I just, this just seems like such an archaic and needs to be over with concept. It is, dude. This patch of dirt and the people in it are (laughs) the ones that we need to worry about and take care of and. If you're outside of this patch of dirt, then you can basically yeah. go fuck yourself. Where did you pick up patch of dirt from? Where, if you I, remember, in... I wish I did, but I don't. Oh, my God. But that's essentially what it is. It is that is so spot on. Our dirt is more important than Our that. dirt. And people on that other dirt yes. who look different with that different skin, so, what's going on there? So and I think it's archaic, too, man. And that's kind of where we started with uh, talking about toll booths. And I kind of <laughs> noticed... Uh, you were kind of, you were I don't know if you were uncomfortable or trying to kind of play devil's advocate, but I was like, toll booths are archaic. They've paid for these roads fifty five plus years ago. Uh, well, what the reason I was defending that is because as much as I hate capitalism, I still understand that thing. There needs to be a system in place for maintaining things, especially public mm-hmm. utilities. So whether it's a, a a public road that you're paying taxes for it to be upkeeped, or it's something like the turnpike, which is run by a private company, which you just, instead of taxes, you just give them money directly. There needs to be a mechanism for mm-hmm. people to be able to maintain things. Um, and then that's kind of where the debate lies. And yeah. if we're not going to have capitalism, well, what's it going to look like? You and, did expand my consciousness on the on the, my paradigm on the tool booth thing. So I do appreciate that. Yeah. And it's that's, that's kind of what I want 
there to be a practice with people in doing is, well, you start talking about, well, I hate capitalism. Well, a lot of people then jump to like, well, you want fucking communism. You want to fuck be a commie over there. Exactly. You, you want this to be Soviet Russia, which, uh, <laughs> you want old country rules. Exactly. Which with new country flourishes, which we also said <laughs> not. And while we were recording that, uh, many, as many of you know, that, uh, that wasn't, that wasn't communism that was going on in the Soviet union. That was authoritarianism dressed up as communism. Yes. Important point. But that being said, people just sort of immediately, their fears come out because they're like, well, A, this is something different. And if it's not capitalism, then what? And I'm not saying that I have the answer, but we need to start thinking about things in a way that isn't profit, like profit being the bottom line. Uh, this is what we're trying to squeeze out of people. Because like we were also talking about, um, every time there's this new technological innovation or every time a company... Uh, innovate something in a way that they either save time or money or something, none of the employees or anybody really sees the fruits of that that change, that innovation. It all goes towards, well, now we can increase our share price and our stockholders are going to be happy. But it's not like, okay, we've innovated how to do this process. Now you guys can have more time at home. You don't need to work on the weekend. Um, no, that's not how it works. It's you're going to be here working the same amount of time and we're going to make more money off of it now because it's a more efficient process. But you're going to still be here working 40 hours a week at least. And us shareholders and, you know, who owns the company is going to reap this benefit. And then they come at you with some think tank bullshit about how, <laughs> like, well, if I make tons of money, it'll be good for you guys, which is not the case. Um I have never heard a good explanation, a, a good defense of trickle-down economics. No, it doesn't fucking exist. It doesn't exist. It doesn't work. It doesn't. How, I challenge how? anybody to give me a better one other than rich people get money and then they make more jobs. But it's, it's just, I, I'm not seeing it happen. How we make less exploit the working class, yet keep infrastructure strong like bull. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and I, I don't know the answer to that. I wish I did. One thing I would like to put out there into the world is that I think when creating a new company or any anything it is you want to do, whether it's a service, a product, whatever, I think along with the creation of your new company should be some sort of ethic or ideal that you're going to take care of your people as you do it. And that is in every single goddamn job application I've ever looked at in my my life that the the employer care we care about our, our employees here and stuff and like it's, <laughs> it's lip service because oh, dude you, you just know, hit him with the zingers dude because let me make sure and, this isn't our, our man hold on a second yeah yeah in um, in some ways yes you can be in a a, a, a more positive environment but yeah. Like if, if built into the company was some sort of like everyone who works for this company, we're going to make sure can afford food, a roof over their head, be able to pay for just the, the well, basic necessities. If that was that, if that was built into the company's structure, I think that would change things dramatically. I think if we take this model, Henry Ford and company housing tried to do, however, that was still exploitation. Oh, absolutely. It wasn't like, oh, let's have my workers and my... Let's have my people work together, live together. No, that was no, like that was. I'm gonna create the entire <laughs> ecosystem in which I control every. No, lever. yeah, I'm gonna make a little exploited town. And then I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you credits for the company that you work for in the town that is owned by. Everything is owned by the company you. Work. No, that's that's. Uh, yeah, that's have not. you ever seen a Wonderful Life? It's a Wonderful Life. 
Yes. So, you know, Pottersville. Yes, exactly. Except that was even a step up from company housing. I think that it's a great idea to think about the people first. I think very simply, it's just how do we make sure our people have a living wage, have a good roof over their head? Kind of like the mission of of uh, George Bailey and the uh, building and loan, trying to make sure that people have a roof over their head, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's not built into a lot of companies. I think they think, no. okay, you know, well, here's just a cut and dry payment uh, for everyone here, and we're going to make sure, you know, that covers our morals. Yeah, and I'm... I- Again, this is us just spitballing here. We don't have the system. We don't have a plan. Put in, yeah. We said in the in the you know installment before this, none of us actually know what we're yeah, talking about. Does that mean that you know if you employ somebody for something very basic or just some little gig thing or a contract work, for instance, you you don't need to you know make sure that that person can you know feed their family and things like that. Yeah, but, we're just talking about people being valued from their work. But if you're going to work for a company that you're putting in 40 hours a week, you're showing up all the time. This isn't contract work, this isn't gig work. This is like your career, your job, the thing that you're putting in at least 40 hours a week for. I think there should be something built into that company that at least makes sure that everybody can pay for food and a roof over their head. Whether or not you want to send a litter of six kids off to college and like all that stuff, that's a different conversation. But if you work forty, interesting point. If you work forty hours a week doing anything, I don't give a fuck who you are. Like, I think you should be able to pay for food and a place to live. Yeah, that's just that. I mean, I think that's a really interesting thing that you said. And a place to live that's not falling apart. Right. I mean, listen, I used to live right upstairs. This is actually totally different from the point that I was going to come in with, but I think this is an interesting application of this, right? So I used to live right upstairs with the studio that we're in now. Yeah, hit it up, hit it up. Have some bread. And uh, the landlord of this building. That's a funny word too. Right. Let's not even, check this out. Actually, great example. The landlord of this building is the same man that I worked for. Half of the money on my paycheck every month went right back to him. We talked about raises about three times. Never got one. Um, and meanwhile, he's getting half of his money right back into his pocket. And tell me why I had a light burn out right in front of my door that made the hallway so dark and eerie and weird and a little gross. Uh, tell me why that was a simple light fix Light that, bulb fix. That you had three months. Fix. Three months. And he wanted you to pay for it. I moved out. By the time I moved <laughs> out, that light was still burned out. Oh, jeez. And I quit that job. I'm like, bro. I don't blame you. I, I like the idea of work exchange programs where I do some work for somebody and then maybe I can, you know, housing or something is part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, I think what I was going to say was like, everybody's different. I think we're past this whole cookie cutter reality where everybody's life is different. Everybody has a different experience in our reality. And I think it's really interesting because some people can be like, man, you know, life is so fucked up right now. I'm just in this rough spot, da da da. And then other people can be like, you know, everything's cool, everything's chill. Everybody has a different experience going on. And those people can even work at the same job. So, why do we have these same kind of compensation plans for the same employees mm-hmm. when, or for all employees, whenever people are different, like people live by this means people live by this. Not to say 
hey, we all work at McDonald's, but this person is going to be able to afford $1,200 rent and this person can barely make four hundred. Let's mm-hmm. just play, pay them accordingly to stay there. I mean, how do we take what we've internalized about capitalism and make it so that people are compensated fairly mm-hmm. in, in a way that is a massive reform of capitalism. And I think that's, you know, one of those million dollar questions. Unfortunately, we won't be able yeah, to. Yeah, let me, let me ask you, how do we fix capitalism? <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt to try and answer that question. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say the first thing we can do is have just the intention to fix it or to change it. Um, I, I really think we have to change it. I don't think there's a, a like a tweak or a fix to capitalism that's like going to make it. A, I think it's like, I think it's yeah. a, it's a, a total. It's a rotted, gangrenous limb that just needs to be hacked off. Well, yeah, I, I think an interesting thing that is going around is you can't reform a yeah. system intended for this. Exactly. Yes, this is the outcome of capitalism. This is the outcome of this capitalism. is late stage capitalism. We're living it right now. Yeah, and it's. I mean, dude, like we just witnessed uh, one of the silliest yet also incredibly dangerous uprisings of our modern time having our yeah, capital January you know the 6th. the January 6th the day that will live in infamy uh you know having our 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 pinpoint of our sacred democracy mm-hmm. a little bit of an air quote a little bit uh you know stormed by people who are under the impression of this conspiracy people who are to their Credit, sick of the status quo. Mm-hmm. People who, the thing that both sides can agree on, but they see it drastically differently. Yes, and that's is where we are in time and how this is all a symptom of capitalism. I agree. But people are perceiving it so differently, mm-hmm. and that's why we have this ridiculously deep divide. So to a little bit answer part of the question that you were getting at on how we compensate different people uh, fairly for their work. I think there's something to be said for really having people be honest with what it is they want, um, like the lifestyles they want to be living. Um, Because I think uh, the assumption for a lot of people is that every person wants to be the big baller. Every person wants Mm -hmm. to have a boat and really nice car and a vacation home and things like that. And those are nice things, but I don't particularly want all those things. I, I don't either. Do you think a lot of those people uh, on January 6th <clears throat> fought for nine to five security? I, I'm not sure what a lot of those people <laughs> were there for. I, I have, I'm, I'm certain that they were there for a lot of I mean, a lot reasons. of them were promised, they thought by the end of if the we, 45's pre- presidency, we were all going to be rich. If we could work out some sort of thing where it's like, okay, like, you you want this much out of life. Like, I just want to live in the mountains in a, in a cozy little, cozy little, you know, wooden building that can keep me warm and that, you know fresh water i can yeah i can put my stuff at and have a nice little garden outside like i don't i don't want that much stuff and then if somebody else wants to be the big baller like he can go do the big baller work and then he can get himself a mansion over in malibu and so, like that's fucking cool and <laughs> like that's a, a nice thing for capitalism i'm not saying everything about capitalism is you know evil um 
Like, like it's really good at rewarding people who want to put in a lot of work into things. Does it? Does it? In, in ways, yes. Because that is the whole... I, I don't think it allows everybody to do that, it in yeah, the it same... Doesn't. It doesn't allow everyone there's to do still, it the There's still classism because... Oh, certainly. Because, you know, what it sounds like you're saying is that same old uh, yeah. thing of, like, you know, you know, uh, you work hard, you'll make it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you're yes. going to get there. And it's not... As That's not see, what I was trying to... But I understand. Yes, yes. But it's like, you know, when you can't, you can't work your ass off at McDonald's and, and afford that house. You can work your ass off at another job and afford that house, but how... Do you get yourself into that opportunity because there's yes. because you know money flows, whatever. But built into capitalism is there's there's a lot of socioeconomic mm-hmm. disparities, and some people are not going to be up for those opportunities the same way that exactly. other people. And I, I think a big problem is also is that capitalism forces everybody to play the game whether you want to or not. So. Whether or not I'm interested in being a big baller and having lots of money in a big house, I still kind of have to play the game of capitalism just to be able to survive and participate in all this stuff. And what I'm suggesting is if society actually is a project built to, you know, serve everybody in the society to, you know, standard of living, comfort, those sort of things, if that's what the the goal of society actually is, we have made zero progress on it. (laughs) In fact, we've actually made negative progress on we have, because of how because the wealth gap is bigger than ever and increasing. So, if the project of society is to make as many people as possible's life comfortable, we've failed that endeavor. We need to scrap this thing, right? Because the 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 safety of avoiding this massive wealth gap was this you know grandiose phenomenon mm-hmm. trickle down economics yes that's going to make sure everybody gets fed everybody gets their 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 dues of capitalism mm-hmm. however what we see which is a great little diagram i found as we're drinking wine very uh very applicable so cheers to this Bourgeois. there's this uh trickle down economics map where you know you have a wine glass at the top of one of those little, like, wine glass pyramids. I say we're also drinking wine out of styrofoam cups. Yeah, dude. I mean, we're clearly winning at capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you have these big wine glass. You have these wine glasses, and they're all equal size, mm-hmm. right? And they make a pyramid, and it's this top glass fills mm-hmm. up. I've seen that visual, yeah. Yes. As the top wine glass fills up, it trickles down, and you have wine in all these other glasses. That is not what we see. <laughs> we see the top wine glass just getting bigger it got a bigger and glass. bigger yeah. and base. I mean, bigger and when it can't and fit anymore. Did I say Bezos? That was weird. They get another. <laughs> they get a bigger and bigger glass. Yeah, and that's and what we see is that the resources and the momentum of once you get some traction is that instead of those resources and momentum translating to other people, you're able to put that back and reinvest it into yourself, and then you make this like unstoppable snowball which sounds like a nice thing <laughs> yeah if it worked like that from the bottom up but it doesn't those it's top heavy the people at the top have the resources and momentum and they don't let them get to everybody oh, else it's gre- i mean yeah you people that were like trickle down ep- economics will save us completely neglected one important thing human greed yes be saying oh, i'm gonna hoard this i mean dude like there's people that hoard garbage there's people that hoard Things that don't have any value. Yes. You think that there's not going to be people that hoard the most, you know, valuable piece of paper ever? Yes. Um, 
And listen to J. Cole, man. J. Cole's like, I wish that everybody could get rich and famous to realize that's not the answer. Mm. Because greed, that has got to seriously be, you, you think that it's this nice, luxurious life, you can do anything you want. But also what Jay-Z said, more money, more problems. More money, more problems. And with that, then that, you know, what that means is, dude, those people, they got to live the most empty life. Imagine all the anxiety that comes with the responsibility of thinking I have all this money. Jeff Bezos could completely save everything with money, but he won't. Yes. And the pressure of that, not doing it. I mean, it's got to eat up a person. I think there's another another layer to somebody in those positions, uh, like psychologically, neurochemically speaking, that when when you get a dopamine hit for accomplishing a task, whether it's something as simple as like I got my laundry done today <laughs> or I just got a huge bonus at work, you get that internal reward system of yours activated and it's like, oh, I did something good that was satisfying. When you're making money hand over fist like bill gates or tesla uh, that dude uh, he's actually the richest man in the world now he is and now when you're making money on that scale on that level by the way elon musk just to say that that's the yeah i couldn't remember his name but uh i have to believe that your rewards your internal reward system is completely out of any sort of human regulation no just frame of reference like you went from swimming in a kiddie pool to the ocean. Like you cannot, mm. you cannot get the same levels of reward. Like when when a number, like a, say a number hits your bank account, you just you got a hundred bucks. Like man, that felt really good. And then it must feel. Does it feel ten times better to have a thousand bucks? How I does don't, it feel? To I don't think a... so. And I think that cap eventually caps itself. I've I've seen uh, research and studies before that. The like level of money you need to make before you start getting the diminishing returns on how like good how it makes you feel happy and stuff like that is not a lot of money. It's somewhere around like seventy eighty grand a year, and once you have oh yeah you see that money you're just like because hey. once you, once you have your basic life needs met, the the That's return the return on investment the reward is very. It, it, it flatlines. Yeah, what's the so, uh, reward that Stephen Colbert said last night? You you. Put on a jacket you haven't worn in a year and find a twenty dollar bill. You know how does that feel once you're making all this money? It doesn't feel good at all. And we can't we can't even perceive the difference in these numbers because of how large they are. I mean, we we can see when we look at the a million versus a billion, and we understand that it's like what ten times larger. I'm I'm bad at math. Uh, okay, so a million versus a billion. Yeah. So is that that a tenfold increase? Um, Yeah. Tenfold. Okay. So all all the math people are cringing and turning off the podcast. Yeah, bro. Math cringe. Okay. Million dollars times ten, ten million times ten, a hundred million times ten, a billion. Okay. So what was that? I don't know. I don't know folds. I don't know. To 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 continue the point, when we get we we lose the ability to understand just how large that money is. And we, I have to believe that somebody who is doing that much, uh, or making that much money is reward systems must be entirely like out of whack. Like I, I would imagine that person doesn't feel a hit of dopamine or doesn't feel internally rewarded until they can increase that. And that's why you start to see these people who, who like Bezos, who just live for the game. Like that dude could probably get, you know, a, free Ferrari shipped to his house and he, it wouldn't even like, he wouldn't even take a look at it. So he'd just be like, whatever I need, I need to make another, you know, 
10 billion dollars by the end of the afternoon just for me to be able to be at my baseline and like just it, it's an out of control storm that like is so true man you like, can't regulate that anymore. no because imagine- and we have these problems in our own lives too and like getting your own internal reward systems under control is something we all need to do better at but i feel like anything that allows somebody to just be in an entirely different universe in the level of wealth and power and resources they command and to just leave it up to them like okay we're gonna let you decide how everything works because you got all the money in the control like it's it's ludicrous to me absolutely man i mean i will tell you this like the thing that got me to start making music in a real genuine way um because for so long i was i was caught up on this whole i have to be monetarily successful Mm. and be and be you know marketable to be a musician i mean finally i was like dude no i want to make music for the love of music it literally took undoing and unlearning Mm. and now what i do it for like i might never be this you know household name in the country in the world because seriously like my reward is what we were talking about in our last segment which is closing Mm -hmm. the loop people actually communicating with me about the impact of the music and i don't want to lose that like I think when people sign their record deals and they get bigger and I think I think it clouds the intentions and I think that they lose that organic natural feel of their music and that's mm-hmm. why people say hey you know after this person signed their record deal they were a different artist and I I miss their old stuff and we talked about that right when we started yeah the 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 classic fan that's like oh I miss their old stuff I like stuff their though. old stuff yeah but it's true because like money does change people mm-hmm. and when you realize like people that are at a certain economic level they have car collections and stuff but they don't actually really care about it. like mm-hmm. they're like collecting cars and fixing up cars it might be the same as me collecting 10 to 20 dollar lego sets mm-hmm. when their lego sets are tens of thousands hundreds of yeah, thousands of orders cars. of magnitude larger yeah right i mean i live i live in a 10 to 20 dollar that's my <laughs> treat world exactly you know yeah. so and we're just not even we're not even swimming in the same pool anymore so what what i would like to see is another aspect of these changing capitalism would be can we make some reward systems for work and for things that aren't exclusively monetary is there a way that okay you provided me with you know enough labor for this week of whatever it is we're trying to do here i am gonna make dinner for you for the week or like i'm gonna give you food for the week or like i'm gonna take care of that problem you've had at home or whatever it is like something that isn't directly like okay here's money so that you can give it to somebody else to do that why can't there be some sort of like service exchange and i think it's this like i'm gonna roll on this one i think it's the health of the nation the mental health mm, of the nation back to nationalism no uh back to to a new topic mental health okay i think that there is a lot of dysfunction and even the healthiest of families have some sort of dysfunction I think that every family, a wise, wise person once told me that every family has dysfunction on some level. I think that our nation as a whole, when we think, when we try to access our collective thought, I think that there's a lot of assumptions and expectations that aren't shared humanistic rewards. So I think that our reward system, so based around money and what do I get out of it, that helps me to... Uh, proceed with, you know, 
household items and this and that. Mm-hmm. We need that. We need that to live at this point because that's the culture that we live in and that we're used to. But mm-hmm. what about these other cultures that that barter? Mm-hmm. What about other cultures that have more shared resources that aren't like this is what my house has? Mm-hmm. What about actual collectivistic or collectivist cultures that actually share? I think that the health of our nation really has gone to a point that when we think about our our idea of collectivism is completely dysfunctional. Actually, I don't think we live in a collectivist nation at all. I think no, that we certainly don't. We don't. I think that we want to say weird things like we're in this together and stuff, mm-hmm. but everybody knows that <clears throat> I'm looking out for me mm-hmm. and maybe like the people I'm related to by blood. Yeah. I, it's, I cringe every time I see like a news anchor or somebody like make this appeal towards like, we're, yeah. we're all together in this. And I just, I, I smirk every time. And, like, and then he hops in his, you know, super fucking expensive car and goes mm-hmm. home and yeah. And it's probably alone. So, so it's just like, not, I think not shitting that, on news people. No, either. cause that's, I mean, I was in political journalism. I think that we have lost sight of the small things and the internal rewards that aren't based around money. Mm-hmm. So when you asked about our rewards, I think that it's just like this year, hopefully for a lot of people, but probably not enough people. Um, for me personally, I got back to loving the little things Mm -hmm. and like my little uh, successes that revolved around my mental health. Glad to hear that. And I think a lot of people would really benefit from finding some kind of interpersonal effectiveness when it comes to your value not being revolved around money, but revolving around your peace of mind and taking care of yourself. And taking care of others. I mean, imagine a a world where we actually have more time and freedom to give to each other. Imagine. I mean, we, we, we've, many of us have all gotten to do some volunteering at some point in our lives, whether or not it was something you had to do for a class or school or just because you like volunteering. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels good to help other people. It does. And I know I say this to myself all the time. I need to get my ass back out there and do more volunteering. But it just it feels difficult when I only have so much time that I need to give to, you know, my employers so that I can make money to be able to afford a place to live and eat. And then I also want to have some time for myself to be able to enjoy my friends and family or do some of the, the fuck around things that I like to do to just, you know, enjoy my time. And it just feels like between those things, I don't have enough left to give to other people. And I don't like that. I want to be able to live a life where I can give myself to other people as well. Mm -hmm. But I got to imagine that if we had some sort of system where people's base needs were more or, you know, more taken care of where I didn't have to spend necessarily as much time or just mental effort to be stressed out about how I'm going to take care of myself we could give so much more time to each other and they're just the, the, the benefits from that could be absolutely enormous, both for the person that you help out and then for yourself with the sense of accomplishment you get in helping people. Dude, absolutely, bro. <laughs> I think that the way we started this conversation to the way we're <clears throat> really taking it on now is we are stripping ourselves down 
to the human essentials. And I think that is really hard to do for a lot of people. Mm. I think that this year has done it because um, I think a lot of people who've been home and they have to put themselves first and the people that they love first and their families and, oh, I got to take care of the people here. Um, <clears throat> I think that there has been a lot of unlearning about this economic reward system. And I think that a lot of people have gotten more in touch with the human essentials. And I think that we just kind of did it in these 32 minutes we've been chatting. Because, I mean, we know we know the truth. We know what real <clears throat> human satisfaction is. Do and we, I think that... Do, our, we, do we really? I think so. I, 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 I want to agree with you. I feel like we can feel it. I don't think we could necessarily articulate it and say what it is. It's not necessarily but it's, it's, quantifiable. Yeah, okay. So but it is it's a, still... It's a, it's a truth that when you're experiencing it, you can go, yes, that's, that's that. That's yeah. But I, I felt that once mm-hmm. you were speaking. I'm like, okay, we're here. We've kind of undone this... Um, I mean, we, we went through the whole big C. You know, and I think that we're kind of now spitballing and brainstorming on what does it mean to be satisfied as a human before as a working class citizen, mm-hmm. as an individual. What is, you know, what is, what is, what does your health mean to you and what do your relationships mean to you? Something we all could take a more of a look at. And and isn't it weird how we talked about money and now we're talking about relationships? Well, uh, this podcast is has a little bit of everything on it. Um, I want to wrap it up here. Yeah, I, I, I really I want to thank you again. Uh, I want to thank anyone who actually listened to this segment. I think I'm really just going to slap her on at the end of the other <laughs> two segments that we had already. So if you are here and you were vibing with the, the arts talk and everything we had before, thank you. Um, if you made it this far and you actually vibed with us with our heady political philosophical ideas i really want to thank you and more to come more to come all right stay well everybody we love you love you